BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Howdy, folks. Welcome back. Brace for Impact. I am your host, Nick Jeevis. And there's no place I'd rather be than with all of you right now. Cruising. This guest, very interesting one. It may not be famous and may not be as high profile or well known as some of the other people we interview, but his name is Bob McGuffey. And Bob is running for office in Connecticut. He's declared his candidacy for the fourth district congressional race against an incumbent that's been there, I think, since 2008. His name is Jim Himes. And I met Bob a little bit in college because I went to college in Connecticut, and that's how we came acquainted. And Bob is a speaker of truth. He wrote a book called The Seventh Crisis, which basically outlines six of the major crises of the world that have changed the shape of the earth forever. And he believes that we're headed for number seven. He doesn't believe that it is an inevitable fall, which is good, that it's just going to collapse under all this weight, but more that there is a way out. It may have some pain to it or changes to it or things that are going to upend life as we know it right now. But he expressed hope that with a little bit of fiscal pain and changing of our ways that we could emerge from this better than when it began. And when it began is arguable, but we started ditching the national debt and monetary policy as a big issue back in the early 2000s. The spending on the wars in the Middle East from George Bush ballooned the budget and people were afraid. So there was little pushback and it was approved almost by both sides. There was even Democrats at that time, if you can believe it, and you're a younger listener, that were in full support of George W. Bush's plan of action. So with that, as with most things in politics these days, there's an escalation. Remember Batman Begins, great moment, end of the movie, where... Commissioner Gordon asks Batman, what about escalation? What about escalation? Escalation. We start carrying semi-automatics, they buy automatics. We start wearing Kevlar, they buy armor-piercing rounds. And you're wearing a mask. You start wearing a mask, you're going to breed someone like the Joker. And that's what happened. George W. Bush, who came into office discussing spending as an issue and having his father having been involved with Newt Gingrich, who is famous Speaker of the House that also presented Contract with America, which included budget caps and spending changes, that all went out the window. And it gave one Barack Obama a blank check to do whatever he wanted. And I remember in college that, especially because of the fiscal crisis that happened, the housing crisis and the banking crisis, that, and because he had a supermajority in the Senate, Barack Obama had carte blanche. And that shot the debt up to ridiculous rates that we see it now. It's above $31 trillion and counting. It's affecting the economy. People think it's some broad shell game that they can't understand because they're not finance wizards. It's not true. Money in, money out. We have less money coming in than we do going out. 
we have less things to offer the world marketplace than we buy off of China or Russia. There's an ocean of oil under our feet. We could become energy independent and help the economy in a matter of several years. But no, it's always this massive fight. It's always this, you're one side or the other. It's, there's no compromise. There's no real focal point for both parties to want America to succeed. It's one side that says America's special and it deserves to be put on a pedestal and developed. And you have another side where they used to be maybe a little more liberal, quote unquote, but their interests were never completely against that of America. However, and Bob and I talk a little bit about this, they successfully sold this idea that globalism is just the natural next step. What comes after a city, a state? What comes after a state? The federal government, a country. What comes after a country? Global countries, UN. And even as a young person, it seems sort of logical, right? That, oh, well, there should be a world police or there should be the good people from each country, the good leaders should be talking together on how we can help each other. But it's this utopia. It's a lie. Other nations want us to globalize because it helps them, not because it helps everybody. And America wouldn't be the only one holding the short straw either. It's not, this isn't simply a pro-America or anti-American stance here. Globalism could change everything. People come to America in droves, and they still do, by the way. If you look at the border, the poorest border, millions pour over there from Mexico. It's not because Mexico and the countries immediately south of it are so fantastic. It's because this place is still special. And if you yield to the thinking of people like Jim Himes, Bob's, I guess you could say competition for now, they're not officially up against each other because Bob's still running for the nomination, but if you go with that plan, you're going to crash. Things that make this place special are going to dry up and we're going to become just like the rest of the world. Bob and I also talk about China, the threat that they pose by buying up farmland, by paying off and buying off politicians and decision makers within America. And that would explain why it's so head-scratching that one party would completely go off the rails and decide that we're not going to do what's right for America. We're not going to do what enhances America the most. And they're going to use every excuse in the book, throw every excuse at you. I'm going to close the intro here and get to Bob, but I met Jim Himes, the guy Bob's running against. I went to a town hall when I was in college in Connecticut. And I think he assumed that because I was young and I was from college and I didn't look like a threat that I was just going to kiss his butt and just say whatever he wanted me to say. And, and I was open-minded. I wasn't there to roast him, but I had honest questions, and I went up there, and it was around 2011, 2010, during that cycle, with Obamacare was the big debate. Could we afford to just give people blanket healthcare access and not hurt the system beyond repair? And I remember reading some statistics to him and saying, hey, I found that in these towns in Connecticut, everyone's health insurance rates have gone up. Everything that people that were pushing this healthcare plan said weren't going to happen are starting to happen. And I said, I feel like I've been lied to. And his answer, he just danced. It's on YouTube, by the way. If you want to look it up, it's called Obamacare Shell Game, I believe. But him and I 
discussed it. And then I asked at the end, they were trying to shove me off the podium to get someone else in there, some ringer to ask him some other question. And I remember saying, you don't remember Speaker Pelosi, your leader saying that you would do anything to get this passed. You'd parachute in, you'd, you'd go under them, go over them. And he just played stupid. Like it was easier for him to play stupid than to just say, yeah, yeah, that happened. We, we stand behind our bill. No, he danced and evaded and it was very, I felt slimy. I'm not going to lie. I felt like I needed a shower. So the fact that Bob is stepping up in whatever capacity to make people in that district aware that there are other options out there, even if he wins re-election, that's a good thing. And even at the end, I had to remind him, just like I did to the folks here, if you want to watch the video, it's on YouTube. I told the congressman there, he's like, I don't remember that. I said, well, uh, it's on YouTube, congressman. So you may not remember it, but the record stands. So without further ado, let's let Bob take it away and explain why change not only needs to come to Connecticut, but why he's just the man to do it. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Bob, welcome to the show. No, thanks for having me. It's good to see you, Nick. Now, you have been in the political game for some time now. Uh, I'd say decades, it sounds like, from our discussions. And I want you to tell me, why are you running for Congress? Well, um, <laughs> I'm a student of history, yes, for decades. And um, I guess by the time of the financial crash in 08 and the emergence of the Tea Party, I was one of them that said, we, we just have to get a voice here. So um, Tea Party people got out and uh, awakened the nation to the problem of the rapidly increasing debt, the government control, the attempt to take over health care. Um, and so that's when I got active, was a Tea Party activist at that time. And uh, we worked for a lot of candidates over the years here in Connecticut. And uh, our representative who was swept in in 08 is Jim Himes. Um, he, he's fully adheres to the national leftist Democrat agenda, progressive through and through. Um, but he presents himself as a moderate in the district. And um, in seven cycles, uh, we've had candidates and nobody really will will take him on aggressively. And so, uh, you know, I just looked at it and said, I cannot walk away. So I got in. Is the content of your book, The Seventh Crisis, have anything to do with why you felt the need to run? Because I've went through it a little bit. I've read some of it uh, when you gave me a copy. And it's similar to the name of the show, Brace for Impact, as if we're headed for this cliff in so many ways, fiscally, socially, uh, with regards to faith. Does any part of that fit into your campaign pitch for why you're a better choice than Himes? All of it. Uh, <laughs> the seventh crisis, real quick, takes off on a book called The Fourth Turning, which was uh, written by a couple of demographers and historians in the late 90s. And it predicted, it looked at a cyclical view of history, and we go through the phases. And the last great crisis was the Depression in World War II. And um, then we went into a high, and then, um, you know, we had robust times, but then they became an unraveling 
in the 90s and uh, socially and politically. And they forecast we'd slip into crisis somewhere in the first decade of this century. And we indeed did with the financial crisis. And it's ripening. And so we I wrote the book with a lifelong friend, co-author, and uh, we, we said, we're in it. This is a reckoning. There's there's no turning back from this agenda being pushed at us socially, uh, politically, and economically. It's all coming to a head. And, and you know, it used to be new moves were month by month. Now they're week by week. This financial crisis uh, is going to build. Unfortunately, I think this really is the, the, the financial part of that reckoning now. So... You know, Jim Himes makes excuses and for the Washington establishment, for the ruling elite. He presents himself as a moderate. He explains Washington to his district. Um, and, and he's flying cover for the worst elements of his party. And this needs to be exposed to the, to the uh, residents here. Uh, you know, there's several hundred thousand people in this district that do not want him as their representative. He doesn't represent our individual rights. He represents the collective from Washington. So all of this comes together and, and, um, I just couldn't turn away from it. So I'm in. I, I announced that I'm in. So if you're on the debate stage, let's say, give you a hypothetical, you're on the debate stage and they give you carte blanche to start listing solutions to how to fight this hydra. You have bank failures. You have parents that feel their children are being brainwashed in schools. You have pastors that aren't preaching the word. You have inflation. You don't like you said, it's day to day now, not even week to week. It's every day. There's a new crisis. What would you provide or what solutions would you suggest to help pull us out of this that Himes isn't giving? Well, on the financial side. Uh, the economic, the national economics. I wouldn't. I would not vote for any um, increase in the debt. No more deficit spending. I would be attacked, uh, saying I'm putting the credit of the United States in jeopardy. I'm not. Uh, the government brings in. The federal government brings in about 850 billion dollars a month uh, to to pay the 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 uh, interest on the debt. It's only about 55 billion. You got eight times coverage. Um, the high entitlement programs. Uh, they're going to have to be addressed. Um, one way or another, but um, wouldn't put a solution up for that. That has to be discussed among the people's representatives. But what I would say is you put a wrapper around the entitlements and you do, you bond them out. But the balance of the budget, um, you look at what your uh, receipts are and, and you go back several years and, and you see what the spending was and you get a match and then you, you straight jacket the rest of the federal government, according to what it can actually afford to do uh, on the, on, uh, you know, on the local side. I mean, the parents rights group movement uh, is just cultural Marxism in action. They are fighting it. Um, what are they doing? Sexualizing the children uh, They tell the, the critical race theory. Uh, they call it by different names, but what they're doing is is they're teaching the the children to to be apprehensive about each other, and some are oppressors and some are oppressed. We got past all of that. This is tragic that these things are being discussed there. And uh, you know, as far as the political level nationally, how about we adhere to the Constitution? There is there there are there are, there are border laws how about we enforce the border laws secure the border have people that want to come in come to uh, approved entry points and present themselves uh and as far as the green the green dream goes the, the you know that is not settled science 
and you can and you can see PhDs fighting about it all the time in various articles. And what I would say there is it is being exploited by the American left and the Democrat Party to set up a scheme to transfer wealth from the developed countries to the undeveloped countries and from the American middle class to the economic underclass, both here and elsewhere uh, in the world. And, and and it's a loser. It's a loser for us. They're, they're shrinking American life and we need to stop it. They are. And in so many ways at once. And one of the ways it seems, and I'll get your opinion on this, if you were to become a lawmaker and even just as an observer, Congress writes the laws, uh, Supreme Court interprets the laws, executive branch, the president is supposed to enforce the laws. And as you said, they're not doing that. Do you think we as a people have given too much power to who the president is? Because it seems like the nation is shifting with, with whoever's in the White House. And that wasn't supposed to, it's not the way it was supposed to be. There was supposed to be a system of checks, balances to rein in the president when they went off the rails. I don't see that happening. I don't see a system of checks and balances. And I see all these crises continue. Do you think we've ceded too much power to the presidency? Our representatives have. And over the years, in the last 50 years particularly, uh, there's there's so much polling and consultants and all the rest that they keep whispering in, in these representatives' ears to, oh, let the president take that on. They, 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 they've basically um, given the power up to the executive and they've they've let him take over there's more there's more things that presidents have done in the last 50 years that should definitely have been uh decided by the congress and they do that because then they don't have any tough decisions on their record and they all come back like himes and and read everybody a bedtime story <laughs> you, you need to go down there and you need you need to make the tough decisions and that's what you're hired to do. And you go back to your district and you lay it out and you say, this is what I'm faced with. This is what I, I did on your behalf. And this is, this is, this is why I did it. And, and if you, if you can't convince them and you, you don't have to be reelected. They think they have to be reelected. They want to put somebody else in, get a different story. That's what happens. You, you, you're supposed to go down there and do your best to represent the people. It's not a full time career. It's, you know, they used to leave their plowshares and go down and do the people's business and come back. Look at George Washington. He went, he went back to Mount Vernon. They would have elect, reelected him, you know, forever. They wanted to. They wanted to. And he was the one that had the strength, the inner strength to say, no, I'm calling it after eight years. And it seems like that's completely been thrown away. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. You brought up a good point about incumbency. States seem to have this apparatus where you're not picked based on merit or you're not supported for the nomination. And half the time when you get the nomination, you're in because the district is either so red or so blue that if you get the nod, you're going to win. So have we lost our the, the importance of primaries in the process as well? It seems bar people barely know who they're voting for when it comes to the candidates in the general. Tell me your strategy or at least part of your strategy that you can share about your primary race and how you might plan to get the nomination. Well, my my primary race, if there if there is one, if somebody gets in, I'm in very early. I'm in 20 months early. I think you really do need to get in the spring before, not the spring before the election, but the year before that. Um, if you, if you want to have a chance, it takes a long a long time. I don't know if anyone's going to get in. My focus is on Himes. My view of the primary is we're supposed to pick the person who can best articulate and prosecute the case against the opponent. Not against each other. 
You know, I, I so I just don't see it. If if I get an opponent, I'm not I'm not going to be doing negative advertising against him or her. It just it isn't going to happen. I'm I'm focused on Himes, and and um, I think I can make the prosecute the best case. Heck, I've been taking him on in town halls since 2009. Who's got videos <laughs> like I do on their website? Um, I'm going to release something tomorrow about Himes and the and the banking crisis. And um, I've got a video where I'm telling him all about it and challenging him, you know, a few years back. And uh, he's he's very um, he, he's 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 very protective of the system. And uh, he would he well, I won't get into what I won't get into what he pledged to do or not do. But it it could, it could be very alarming. He is does not have his. You can see from his answers, he does not have his constituents' interests at heart. And, um, you know, we've, we've been picking that up over the years across the entire spectrum of issues. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Bob McGovey's going to drop a couple more truth bombs on us in the hopes that we understand how dire the situation really is. Stick around. We'll be right back. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Well, all right, all right, all right. As Matthew McConaughey would say, we are back. And I don't know about you, but this McGuffey guy sounds like he wouldn't make a half-bad representative by today's standards, at least. However, still has more to say, so I'll let you, the audience, be the judge as we throw it over his way for the rest of the segment. Did you, for, for this race coming up here, was there a personal factor that came into it? You thought about your family, you thought about the future of your family, maybe it's your children, you had a business before this. What are the personal elements involved in why you're running and not so much the government or the politics of it? Um, well, my wife is terrific. She's always supported me. She believes in my principles and she believes that I'm, I'm somebody that will stick to them and step out there. She understands what's going on in the country. And after all these years of activating people and writing and the rest, she was all in with it. And uh, certainly my son. And uh, they understand why I'm doing it. And heck, you go out and you do it. And it's, you know, it's 20 months. They'll either end up going to Washington or, um, you know, re- reassessing life at that point, but there won't be any more runs. This, this, this will be, this is it. I didn't think I'd do this. So I have to do this. I was really hoping for a, a good candidate. So um, we, we haven't had one that prosecutes the case. Uh, my family knows I will. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's the question. If you go there, because as much as the show is admitting that we're headed for a cliff, I would like to talk about a little bit of what it might look like if the pendulum were to swing back the other way. Maybe that looks like homeschooling. Maybe that looks like uh, people splitting off and doing their own thing from these bigger entities that have betrayed their beliefs. What does it look like if this movement starts to succeed again, the way it did under President Trump with the economy and things like that? Give us, paint us a picture of what you think it looks like if we're able to come back from this and get an upswing going in the country. 
You don't know, uh, you know, there's several pendulums, you know, I mean, we certainly in a foreign policy, the foreign affairs, the greatest threat is, uh, is uh, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. Who, Absolutely. Who rule that country like, uh, you know, like a prison. And um, it's all stated in their public documents, in their in, in the readouts from their major meetings there of the party uh, that they intend to be a global hegemon. And replace the United States. And well, you know, if that was some small country saying that and they they had there was no evidence on the ground that they were pursuing that. Well, you could maybe ignore it. <laughs> There's every evidence they're doing this. They, they, they've corrupted so many families, including the Bidens in, in this country. They've corrupted companies. They've got them all building their their uh, factories over there. They're all indebted to it financially. Uh, they're into the universities here, cyber, um, TikTok, the whole the whole gamut of, of gamuts, and they want to they want to win the thing. They're embedded, you know. They want to win the thing without firing a shot, if possible, by subverting our country. They they're coming across the southern border as as well. So on the foreign policy side, you have to stand up for this. Trump was doing that. Trump alerted the country to the danger. Uh, coming at us from there. Financially, we 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 we'd have to stop. We'd have to stop the deficit spending and the debt. Um, we need to uh, have the Fed increase reserve requirements to bring back some of that money that's going through the system. There's too much money, too much velocity of money now. Velocity was low until recently to cure the inflation. Um, and and there'll be disruptions. There's a lot of zombie companies out there that are only existing because of the cheap uh, interest rates, and so there would be disruption. You the painless days, Nick, uh, of turning this around are gone, are over. That's uh, no, that's hard to hear. They're, they're over, and, and people say, "Well, you know, food's going to go up and something." Yeah, you know, you know, you secure the border. Well, our food prices go. Hey, the, the painless stuff is passed there is going to be there is going to be pain and the chief executive would have to uh lead a lot of that but what you'd get back was would be sounder sounder money and um and you you you'd get control and, and and shore up the value of the dollar um cure the inflation you'd have to sh- you'd have to shrink government big time there's departments of government that uh, don't even need to be exist. Jimmy Carter and Jimmy Carter created the education department in 1978. Hey, that's done wonders for us. Yeah, that's helping us. I uh, can't do math. Yeah, our competitive standing around the world has done nothing but decline since they don't teach anybody in that department. And what is it? Hundred billion dollars or some crazy number? Uh, these things all have to be looked at with a hard eye. And and you know you'll pull you'll pull things back as far as the school goes. Um, the curriculums in the schools should be uh, those that the parents who send their children there approve of. You know, <laughs> how about back to reading, writing, and and math and and academics, and the rest with uh, this social engineering? Uh, no way. I mean, values should be taught to the children by their parents. Yes, I agree. Supported in the school, not sexualizing them. And all the rest of it, and having them deciding they can change genders without telling their parents. 
my parents and, and my wife's parents, we say it all the time. They would be aghast at what's going on. That's spinning in their graves. And, and what do we have here today? So, I mean, each of these would have to be rolled back and um, I, they'd move. They'd move at different paces for sure. But uh, we have to have people that want to actually accomplish it. That's my question. That's a good lead in for this question then. And you're right. I think it does take it's going to take pain. It's going to take financial pain, societal pain. What can people like you, you're a grassroots guy, you were on the ground with people that I'm about to talk about here. What do you tell your everyday man and woman, your family man, your young people that gives them hope to prep for that pain? It seems like they're willing to sidestep it. And that's human nature. You're going to do anything to avoid pain. But how do you help people prepare for that kind of environment, like you said, where the painless days of, of fixing this or, or restoring it are over. We don't, we don't want to be known as a pain candidate, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're telling the truth, though, it's, it's the truth. And then you want to be known as telling the truth. Hey, listen, you lead with the you lead with the principles and, and you show the people that you do what you say you're going to do. And and, you know, it it follows from there. But um, anybody that thinks this government needs to get bigger or more involved in our lives is is totally, totally off the reservation. Uh, they've proven to us there was a war on poverty since the 60s. Trillions of dollars have gone into that. There's still poverty. It's human nature. It's it's people. Everybody, you know, isn't able to function in a modern uh, technological society. And they, all they do is throw money at it. And where does it go? It gets siphoned off and all the rest. There's so much. Anybody that doesn't think there's so much waste in this government. And this is what it brings you. It, it cannot be funded any longer. We're going to have to make the tough decisions. But it's over. This is the reckoning. This is the reckoning. And all you can do is say, I will go in there with your with my constituents' best individual interests at heart to preserve their liberties, to live their lives the way they see fit and get government out of that. I mean, the Constitution was created by the states. It was given enumerated, limited powers. It is not a big document. If you read it, you'd be aghast at how few things it's supposed to do. And they're basic. They're very basic. Keep the states from from tariffing each other, have a uniform currency, uh, provide for the defense of the republic, coin the, coin the money, provide for a judiciary, and have a forum for where the laws are made. Not an awful lot more than that. And and they just think in Washington, it's all their business to to run. It is not. It's of the people, as you said, and, and that's always been your movement. And that's always been your, your creed, as far as I've seen, at least. And I want to let you have one more bite at the Himes apple before we let you go, before we close <laughs> out, because it sounds like you've been studying this guy for years in my research before this interview. You've gone to town halls. You've gone to meetings he's had. You've gone to uh, debates. You've done a lot. You've studied this man for a long time. What would you say is the biggest difference between you and him? That makes it no question that it's got to be you. When people pull the lever for you, let's say you get the nomination. What's the biggest difference between putting Himes back in there and voting you in? Well, you'll stop the, the growth of big government, the very dangerous growth of big government um, that he that he um, uh, supports. And and now another part of it is the digital currency. So you have a man that thinks the government is the solution for everything, and he proves it with his votes. And um, I, I believe the people can run their own lives 
and and let's give them back the control over their own lives and see how how well the economy will bloom under under that um under that uh free market system as opposed to government regulating everything he he's all with the highest regulated one of the highest regulated states in in the, in the country starting a small business is is a big challenge here he supports all of that. He supports the open border. He supports the Green New Deal, the shrinking of American life, uh, the forcing of us to go to green energy um, without any provision for maintaining our livelihoods as we get there. And I will fight for the people's ability to live their own lives for cheap energy, independent in this country to be able to carry ourselves forward. It's, it's a very stark choice. Is. There you have it. Well said. But once again, this is Bob McGuffey. You're running for the 4th Congressional District in Connecticut. And best of luck to you and to the people of Connecticut, no matter what happens. And keep, please keep fighting for freedom. We need it. Yeah, thank you, Nick. And thanks for giving me this forum. I, I do appreciate it. Always good to talk with you, Bob. We'd love to have you back on. Keep us in the posted about how the race goes. I'm here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Be well. Thanks much. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back, folks. That was, as promised, a great insight into what normal people would say or would want to do if they ran for office the way that Bob does. He was not a professional politician from birth or he didn't have a luxurious bank account with which to do whatever he wanted. Bob was a hardworking family man who just decided that he'd had enough, that he'd seen so much go wrong and so much corruption that he had to do something. And the only way that he could have his voice heard was to run for office against his representative. And I hope more people take this as a sign that we no longer need lawyers and smooth talkers to lead the way. Because we're going to wake up one day and have problems that need solving and they can't be fixed with rhetoric and propaganda and speeches. You need a unique spectrum of individuals to keep this American dream alive. You can't just have attorneys and a couple doctors mixed in there. You have to have finance people, business people, teachers, business owners, small business owners. Anyone and everyone that's willing to finally push into the arena that is politics, even if it's not your job. The problem is, and we talked about this with another guest, Matt Lewis, that politicians have made this a career. The founders and many that came after them treated Washington as a calling of public service. Did people cash in? I'm sure they did. Has there always been corruption? Yes. If you were born or living during the age of 1776, are you automatically a saint? No. But compared to the people down the street from me here right now near the Capitol, 
compared to them today, oh, saint isn't even the word. You're an archangel compared to what it looks like today because they come here, they spew BS for a living. They take advantage of the busyness or the undereducated nature of the population. They look for holes, they exploit those holes, and they focus on what divides us rather than what unites us because it allows them to continue in their role as professional divider. Unity isn't as profitable. And it's harder to raise money when you're preaching, let's come together. Now, Bob, being an outsider, it reminds me of my time here in D.C. And I spent somewhere in the vicinity of the last six out of the past eight years living in D.C., say between 2015 and now. I've been here maybe five or six of those years on and off. And it never ceases to amaze me how few people, how few genuine people come here or are able to get elected to serve here in Congress or as president or the people that are chosen to be put in the cabinet for the president, that they're already millionaires or they're not interested in service. They're interested in increasing their own power and their own net worth. Just like citizen journalism is a calling and it looks like that's going to be needed as well. And this is from a professional journalist saying this, so that's when you know it's gotten bad. We need citizen politicians. The crop of individuals we have right now, sure, there may be some 90-10, 80-20 rule going on there where there is a fraction of them that want to do good and have accomplished things in their private lives. But on the whole, it's shysters and liars and crooks. And again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you lie to yourself and you believe it. Sometimes they don't even know they're the bad guy. And that's the saddest part. That's the scariest form of leader that thinks that what they're doing, what they're saying is a good thing. And that's very It's hard to talk someone back from that ledge. And there seems to be a lot of it here today. And there seem to be a lot of enablers in this town that will allow these leaders to cast these votes, to make these decisions that enrich them. And they will give them the tools with which to fight off citizen challenges millions of dollars from super PACs or from other countries like China and Russia because they don't want America first candidates. It hurts their bottom line. The media serves as an attack dog against anyone that isn't an ingrained progressive or isn't center left at the very least. You have Hollywood constantly chiming in and speaking on issues from political to social. It's this massive force that has decided that any straight shooting, any honesty, any truth, any pro-American sentiment has no place in society, not just in the political chambers, in society. So my hope is that with what Bob and I discussed, the need for a drastic shift in our thinking, my hope is that not only is that something that people start to come around to and discuss, but I'm hoping he inspires more people like him to run for higher office. It's scary, I know. Putting yourself out there, it's not easy. It's actually one of the most difficult things you can do, especially if you have a family. But right now, if you have a family and you're one of those people and you're listening and you have a skill and some expertise, something to offer, just think about what it's going to look like for your children's children. 
Maybe your kids dodge it, right? Maybe you stay out of it and you don't have to throw your hat in the ring and the country has a little bit of a roller coaster ride, but it stays solvent for the next 30, 40 years. So you get to see your kids have success without having to speak out or step up. But then think about your grandkids. Do you really believe, if I'm talking to you out there and you can hear me and you know you're a principled, courageous person that is doing things for the right reasons, do you really believe we can last another generation under this sort of rule? One set of standards for the rulers and another for the ruled? We can't. We cannot live that way. So if anyone out there, anyone that has some standing is listening, please throw your hat in the ring, even if it's local, school board, councilman, councilwoman, anything that can give you a stronger voice against those that were willing to sell out. Sadly, that's quite a few people. And even some that you think aren't sellouts, they present themselves as honest folk. It's all about the money. And when your family's well-being is put up against the dollar signs, you're going to lose. So I'd rather see citizens that have more to lose in this game ante up step in and start staring down these con artists because if we don't, it's going to make the panic of 2008 and the chaos and turmoil of today feel like a massage. It's going to get worse. So please, have enough faith in yourself and in the country to do what Bob is doing and at the very least, put yourself out there. Introduce your ideas into the landscape and into the arena because right now, we desperately need it and we're running very, very low. The tank is about to hit empty. The good news, though, is that there are many people out there that can do it. They choose not to, and I understand. I haven't run for office yet. I'm a little younger, obviously, but still, I get it. I understand not not wanting to do it, but we're past that now. I'm calling on you now to say, please, find a way to at least get on the stage with these other politicians so you can say to them, hey... That's not true. Go to the town halls. That's not true. If they don't host town halls, go to their office and ask them why. And if they don't give you an answer, then you camp out there with your group or your organization until they do. That's what it's going to take. Full commitment. Full commitment. So go and do likewise and never think that this game is too complicated or they're too strong for you not to have a voice. This is still America. And in America... As long as you're willing to work hard, you can make your case, and you have something to offer, then you can contribute to the freedoms that we enjoy. It's Avengers time. It's time to open up the portals. Everybody steps through, and we go and charge at others that are looking to do evil, that are looking to only do things that gain for them, for themselves, for them and theirs. Let's try to take a more self-sacrificial tact and let's focus on getting people that deserve to have the mic on stage and let's see where that takes us. Divine Providence has guided us this far, but now I think we have to grab the wheel as well and start steering. Godspeed and good luck. Mm -hmm.